You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This group is special. Uh... Their character, uh, their work ethic, their will, their commitment, its to me, it's, it's undeniable. It's so strong. Islanders country, hello. This is P.T. Isles, the It Stings edition. Alongside Noel Fogelman, I'm Isles Blog's Joe Bono. We are also joined tonight by Rob Taub of Isles Blog and Empire Sports Media. A reminder, you can listen to this show and all Lighthouse Hockey podcasts on iTunes. Please rate and review or find us on Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or over at LighthouseHockey.com. Lighthouse Hockey, your SB Nation home for your New York Islanders coverage. Noel and Rob, I wish I was not recording this podcast tonight because that would mean I was either at the Coliseum for Game 2 of the Stanley Cup Finals or maybe just watching it on TV. Um, but um, the reality is the Islanders season ended uh, last week unceremoniously a one nothing defeat in Tampa Bay in game seven. It got a little bit closer this year, Noel, um, but alas, it was not meant to be. Despite the stars being aligned, the script looked like it was all written for them to be in the Stanley Cup final and hosting a game one at the NASA Coliseum. Um, but the Tampa Bay Lightning proved to be the better team in game seven. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, going into that game, I don't know about you guys, but I was just nauseous that whole day. I really didn't know what to expect, you know, going to game seven. Um, like just, you know, withstand the first 10 minutes, you know, if they can get through the 10 minutes, I think they'll be okay. You know, it was still, was still, you know, no score, but one mistake. That's all it was, you know, that uh, sure him the goal, which I mean, everyone converged on, uh, I forgot who had the puck, but then just, yeah, they, they scored. Sorelli, that's right. Yeah. And yeah. And they, had a couple of chances with Villiers that Matt Barzell just hopping over a stick. That was a killer. But then they started getting their legs and getting going a couple minutes left in the game. I, I thought they were going to do it, at least force an overtime. But credit to Tampa. I mean, they're a really good defensive team. I mean, we all know the offense, but they're a really good defensive team. They didn't give the Islanders anything. It was hard to get into the zone. They kept everything to the outside. I know the Islanders don't shoot the puck, but they kept everything to the outside. So a, a credit to Tampa. I mean, it still stings. I haven't watched, I didn't watch game one. I'm not going to watch game two. And I'm probably not going to watch any of the series, quite <laughs> frankly. And, and if it goes to seven, I'm going to be in Aruba for my anniversary. So I'm not watching. Oh, see, that seven. would have been awful. See, what yeah. if the Islanders are playing game seven of the Stanley Cup finals and you were in Aruba for your anniversary? That would have been awful. And it's funny. I mentioned that to my wife right before we did You would have been really show. nauseous then. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, she's like, well, you handled it pretty well on Friday. I'm like, I did, but I was dead inside. And, you know, and she kind of <laughs> gave me face and walked away. So. She'll never get it, but 
a lot of Island fans felt that way. And they did get closer by one game, but the pain's still there. And, uh, you know, watching that game, a lot of people were thinking about the 2015 Game 7 against the Washington Capitals when the Islanders couldn't muster anything offensively. And uh, I was hoping it was going to emulate that game in one way and that the Islanders actually tied that game in the third period on a Franz Nielsen goal. Um, and it, it just never came. And uh, you talked about the defense that Tampa Bay, they had the Islanders figured out um, offensively. Um, what they did in Game 2, what they did in Game 3, what they did in – periods one and three of game four, uh, what they did in game five, shutting out the Islanders and Vasilevsky, you know, he's a top notch Vezina finalist quality goaltender that has not lost back to back, back to back playoff games. And who knows how long now. So um, you're, you're facing obviously an elite offensive team, but also a team that could be elite defensively with a top flight goaltender as well on the back end. And I think Rob, you know, the reason why Noel's dead inside and why it stings so much is because the opportunity was, was just right there and and the islanders were not only going to be in a stanley cup final they were going to be probably favored in a stanley cup final with home ice advantage against yeah. a montreal canadian team that was a four seed it's a cinderella story that has talented players that has suzuki which has cole caulfield they have carry price sure uh, but uh, if you were an islander fan and you were going to get by the tampa bay lightning you're going to be expecting to hoist the stanley cup in about a week and a half yeah, it definitely, it definitely hurts. It's still, it's, it's almost, it's, it's going to be a week now in, in a few days. And it just, it's, I still haven't gotten over it. And, you know, just like, like Noel was saying, credit to Tampa. They're 18. They're champions. For, I, I think that the Islands going in, going into the series, just watching it unfold. It was an uphill battle the entire time. Uh, even I felt like even when they were winning, it was just like Tampa just never, never seemed out of it. I wrote about it before the series started that they just like it was against Boston. They were going to be the underdog. They were going to have to do, they were going to have to play perfectly at times to beat a Tampa squad that is, you know, they're perfect. They, they are basically perfect themselves. And I just think that they ran out of gas. It sucks that it happened. And, and you're totally right, Joe, they would have been favored uh, over Montreal. I, and it, it's weird. I, I didn't want to see Montreal make it because I feel like they have like this special juju going kind of like the Islanders were, where they, they were down in their first series and they won and then they swept Winnipeg and then they, they ended up beating Vegas who, who saw that coming. And I just think that like, I think Montreal would have been not the most, not the greatest matchup I think for the Islanders because that you have a team that's running hot, just like they are into the final round. And, I rather would have seen them play Vegas, you know, to, to be, uh, to be honest, but it's, you know, it's here nor there. It was just the way things ended. It was brutal and it's going to take a long time to get over. And that's just the way it is. Well, listen, every team has the special juju until it does it right. And there's a, every year in every sport, there are teams that have a magical run and then it, it, it comes to an end. And sometimes it's by another team that's having a, a more of a Cinderella story that they actually kind of see it through the end or they just run into a better team. And I don't think watching this series, Islander fans feel like they were the better team. I think they would have felt that they would have had to have found a way to somehow get past the lightning. I mean, you know, more even with the, with the Penguins and the Bruins, although in both of those series, they had to withstand major tests, game fives on the road, where they had no business being in either one of those games. Hold on in Boston 5-4, win on the overtime Josh Bailey goal in Pittsburgh on the on the Tristan Jerry mistake, and then obviously close the door in game six. Um, you know, th- this series, you know, wasn't as close in the games Islanders lost as it was in the Boston, Boston and, and Pittsburgh series. Um, when 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 Tampa wanted to, they were able to really own long stretches uh, of these games you know even you know game six obviously two nothing game before the Islanders get their comeback and even in game four Islanders scored three goals in that second period but game one uh, period one Tampa dominated period three Tampa dominated and the Islanders had to hold on uh, with Ryan Pulak's um, save at the at, at the at the goal line um, you know no let's just kind of you know perspective in terms of you know narratives that come out of this and, you know, a lot of a lot of fans are thinking, well, this is kind of what you have to go through on the way to a championship. Right. And they even look to the Tampa Bay Lightning, for instance, a team that won the president's trophy 
got knocked out, got swept by the Columbus Blue Jackets, and they kind of had to go through that adversary adversity to win a cup and now maybe be on the back-to-back cups. And they, they had other adversity too. I mean, the Stamkos Lightning team, you know, after you know beating the Rangers, lost the Stanley Cup final, right? So they went through a lot of heartache as well. But it doesn't always have to be that way. No, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you yeah. can talk about that. You can talk about the Islanders of the late 70s and losing to the Maple Leafs and losing to the Rangers before they win a cup finally. Um, you can talk about how Edmonton had to lose that series um, to the Islanders and the story of, you know, Gretzky walking past the Islanders dressing room and how exhausted they all are. Although Brian Trottier kind of, uh, kind of yeah. put some, um, you know, kind of, uh, kind of ruined that story a little bit. He said they just, they just were, they didn't want to throw it in their faces. So they kind of were quiet as they right. walked by and then started celebrating again. It didn't have to be that way. That's kind of the point. That's the thing. You, you want to believe that narrative and that this is part of the process, but you don't know if you're going to get back. And one thing you don't, you definitely know is you're not going to get back with this group because there's going to be changes. Right. And you're absolutely right. Like those are young teams that kind of like can't get over the hump and they finally get the missing piece. The Islanders are, are, an older team, you know, they, they have a bunch of guys who are over 30, you know, or close to 30. There's not really many young guys on this team. So like you said, they're going to lose a couple of guys. Um, but the biggest thing for me, and this has been going on with the Islanders for years now, anytime they make the playoffs and they don't have home ice, they always start off the series with a split. They win game one, game, game two, they come back to the Coliseum, they automatically have home ice and they can't, and they always go back to the uh, visiting right. city. Tied always to, lose game three. <laughs> always lose game three. Or, you know, it's a heartbreaker game four. Or if you go back, you know, to the Tampa series they, in 2016, uh, they, they lose all three games. and four. Yeah. They won every game four and game six in every single series this year. Yeah. That's that's mm-hmm. wild. Like, yeah, but right. I think to that Noah's home? point. Yeah. I mean, I guess that Florida series back in 2016, they won game three on the Hickey goal and then lost game four. But in, in other series, and in the Tampa series, obviously they won game one, lost both games, three and four at Barclays Center. The Capital series in 2015, uh, they won game one. I remember Holtby didn't play game two. They also, they still lost game two. Yeah. Uh, they won game they won three game in that three, series lost too, lost game four. So they've, they've had some opportunities to have the, the stranglehold coming back to home ice. And they can't do it. They're always, they're always find themselves in a pivotal game five. Yeah. The only time they actually won all three, home games they actually were down 0-2 that was against toronto back in 0-2 yeah. that's that's another lifetime ago <laughs> so where where in terms of maybe like new york sports do you kind of compare this islanders team to other other teams i've been trying to think about that i think and then the one that kind of jumps out at me the most um and there's some other examples as well is the 2009 2010 jets Right, and the back-to-back AFC uh, conference championship games. Um, The teams are not necessarily – they weren't expected to be there. Um, They had some good pieces. They had an identity around the type of team they were, and they got hot and beat some really good teams and teams that were certainly favored to beat them, including the Patriots, the Chargers on the road, um, like they did in those those years. Um, But ultimately, they had a great opportunity to win and go to a Super Bowl – and uh, lost both times on the road against probably teams that were better than them, but they still made a lot of mistakes in those games and could have won. It was right there for them. Um, so yeah. that was the one that jumped out at me, especially because it's the back-to-back years. I guess what you're hoping is, is that, um, you know, Barry Trotz is not Rex Ryan and John Ledecky and Scott Malkin are not Woody Johnson. Um, right. So that the Islanders that. will be back to the playoffs after these, uh, after yeah. these two straight semifinal appearances. Yeah, exactly. Cause I only had one kid. The last time the Jets made the playoffs, I have three now. <laughs> and one is those kids are in middle school. So as, as you can tell, it's it's been quite some time. Yeah. I was I was 15 when the Jets made those two, those two runs. And I kind of I have to agree with Joe. That's like the perfect comparison. I think maybe one other might be the 99-02000 Mets, where they they got to the NLCS in 99 and then they got to the world series in 2000 didn't win either time and they had pieces they had pieces they had piazza they had ventura they had zeal they had lighter they had all they had john franco and it's just like they never they never got over the hump and i think it's kind of kind of feels like the same way with this the way this allen team is like that 
the way they're built and the way like that they've come together in like a short amount of time, like, cause the Mets were so bad in 97 and then 98, things are starting to turn, things started to turn around with Bobby Valentine and with Steve Phillips, same thing with the Islanders. You bring in, you bring in Barry Trotz, bring in Lou Lamarillo. And it's just like, things just totally changed. So I, I think other than the Jets, I think I got to go with the, the uh, 99, 2000 Mets as like the other perfect comparable. And that brings up another, I think, good point. Um, that I'm about to make is that, you know, sometimes you have to, you know, slay the beast and have to go through a team, right? So you look back at like the NBA in the eighties and early nineties. I mean, you know, it was the Lakers and Celtics. Yes. But the Pistons had to get through the Celtics and then the Bulls had to get through the Pistons, right? Sometimes that has to happen. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes the team might get knocked off. And those 2000 Mets made the world series in part, because the Cardinals knocked off the Braves and they didn't have to face the Braves. Red Sox and, uh, the Braves and the Braves obviously dominated the Mets throughout that whole, that whole uh, period of, of, of baseball in the, in the mid late nineties and early two thousands. So um, sometimes, you know, you're going to have to, will the Islanders see the lightning again? Maybe the way the playoffs are constructed would have to be probably in another, you know, conference final. Um, and, or maybe they don't have to happen. Maybe a team gets knocked off and uh, you get a better matchup and a better situation. And that's ultimately what was in front of them with potentially um, hosting, you know, a game one of the, of the Stanley cup finals, despite being the four seed coming out of your division to, to, to then host the final. I mean, the chances of that were probably under 5%. Right. And you can also look at it a couple, like, you know, sports that are, you know, non-New York, you can look at the 2017 Jacksonville Jaguars who are less than a quarter away from going to the Super Bowl. They vanished. You have no idea where they've been, you know, until this year they get draft Trevor Lawrence. Ottawa was also game seven overtime against Pittsburgh. You know, JG Pageant knows that well. Also, haven't heard from him since the you know, also the Jets. So you don't want the Islanders to fall into that so close. They're all they can touch it and taste it, and then they vanish. I don't think it's yeah. gonna happen because it's you know, the coach yeah. GM, you have those guys, but it's just you never know when you're gonna get back here. And that's what makes it so heartbreaking. I mean, these playoff series are on, they're on a thread they're, yeah. I mean, you know, they, they were, you know, listen, you, you go through the battles, you're obviously, you know, you kind of, um, you know, you're battle tested. That gives you a little bit of experience, but I mean, listen, Kyle Palmieri scores a goal that somehow gets over a shoulder in game one. That could be a different series. Jerry makes a mistake and barely scores on that. I mean, the Marshawn goal, I mean, that even that went against the Islanders in game three, Right. I mean, these these series are so, so close. These teams are so, so close to have to go through an 82 game grind again, get yourself into playoff position and then, you know, try to see whether or not you can best teams multiple times and best the seven series is asking is asking a whole lot and to try to stay healthy. I mean, unlike uh, unlike a year ago, by the time they were fight facing the lightning, um, you know, the Islanders, you know, handled the Panthers. They handled the, the, the Capitals. It was a seven-game series against the Flyers, but the Islanders were the better team in that series yeah. the whole time. You know, lost three overtime games. But by the time they played the Lightning, they were down 3-1, and then they lost to Zekas. Then they lost Pellic. Adam Pellick. And then all of a sudden you're like, well, it's not, you know, they're, they're being gutsy to even try right. to compete and get this to game six. But, you know, probably even if they had to face Dallas, they were going to be severely undermanned to try to try to win a cup. That wasn't the case this year. You know, they were, they were, they had, they were banged up, but for a Stanley cup playoff run, they were pretty healthy. And I know a lot of people feel like Oliver Wallstrom being healthy and he should have somehow been, been in that lineup. And, you know, we can maybe spend a moment on that. After three I, plus years, am I going to really I, challenge I, Barry Trotz and his coaching staff? I, I really can't. I, I think, you know, we got a little bit of an inkling into what the thinking was, is that Pajot was uh, hindered. I think everyone was surprised that it was a hand and not something lower body. Yeah. I mean, uh, but uh, he had hand surgery, but obviously he wasn't as effective as he had been in the previous series. And he just wanted that to be a responsible third line that uh, could kind of go even with whatever matchup he put in front of them on the Tampa side. And he, he favored that over the kind of wild card and what Wallstrom would have been you know, you know, throwing him into a game six or a game seven. Yeah. I mean, like you could, you could look at the production the first line had, I mean, you know, Matt Barzell, 
you know, game three, uh, you know, the, the third period in game six, he was a man possessed. You know, Everly got that goal to get it going. And nothing from Leo Komarov, you know, I guess you can say he provided the tangible. But, I mean, to infuse some of the, you know, excitement and, you know, offensibility that Oliver Wallstrom could bring, it's intriguing. But like you said, three years worth of uh, Barry Trotz being here, I trust him. I mean, I trust him 100%. Yeah, I mean, people were – I'm not calling second guessing because a lot of people on my timeline have been saying it, you know, since the previous series that they wanted right. to see Wallstrom on there. My thought on it, and, and Rob will get your thoughts on this. My thought was if the Islanders went down 3-1, he was going to throw Wallstrom in there. Like if, if, if they kind of needed that spark, but the fact that they, you know, were even, they lost game five, won game six. After winning game six, he's not, he's not making a change. It just, no. it just was not going to happen. I kind of agree. I kind of agree with the people who wanted to see Wallstrom. I think the problem was we saw this last year. Barry was going to go down with the team that got him there. He did it last year. He did it the year before and he lives and dies by the sword. So, you know, I wasn't surprised that Wallstrom never got to see a game again. I, I mean, it sucks that that was the case. And I do think he could have helped. I really do. I think he could have helped on the power play. I think he could have helped on the third line, especially with Pajo with what he was dealing with. And I thought that that was an even bigger turning point that with Pajot hurt, like there was no third line whatsoever. They couldn't do anything. And I think at least if you had Wallstrom in there, it would have gave some semblance of, of a line where they could, instead of just chipping pucks deep and, you know, barely doing anything they can get, they could at least, you know, Wallstrom could use his body to get physical, to get in front of the net, to do like the little things that were making them successful, making that line successful. The first two rounds, none of that was happening in the third round. And I think it really did it did a lot of damage. And I, you know, it's a learning experience for Wallstrom. He said it himself. I'm glad that he took it that way. But you know, you look at if he's gonna if they get back to the same point next year, that can't happen. He needs to, and I think it's not going to happen. I think he's gonna be a a, a, a crucial part of this team next year because now it's gonna be year three for him, and they're gonna need him to be the player that they drafted him to be. And that's a goal scorer. And I don't know if that's going to be on the first line, second line, whatever. His absence was, it was bad. It was missed in the, uh, after he, uh, after he got hurt and, you know, Barry did what Barry did. And well, I think what's, we have I think what's to live with it. And frustrating that, for that's, that's basically how it is. I think what's frustrating for people that want to see Wallstrom is that obviously he was in their original plans right he he started yeah. the playoffs on that line and was fine right good so it was it was not a scenario where you know this young guy was out there and he was in the press box for the entire playoffs and you're going to throw him in there right you know he was in there and he essentially lost his spot due to injury came back and was healthy for the Tampa series but he chose um to stay with to stay with Zajac and again i think that if they would have fell down 3-1 i think he might have made a more of a drastic change but you know, I think with you don't think so. I think he would have. I, oh, think, I think I think I think down three one he would have. And, and if they were and they needed like an offensive like jump and jolt, he would have been a desperate coach and would have made a change like that. But with, with a series that was as close as it was two one two two three two three three, I don't I don't I never I never expected them to make to make a change unless unless the Islanders got down you know where they were facing elimination I, down three games to one. I think if they were down three to one, I think you would have seen multiple. Uh, changes to the to to the like to the lineup. I think it wouldn't have just been Wallstrom. I think, may I don't I don't know. I wouldn't say you would have seen Braden Coburn. Maybe Trotz would have done that just to you know just to get some fresh legs in there. But I think that, like I said, Barry like Trotz was going to live and die by the sword that he'd done the last two years, and he was going to go with the team that got him to the got them to the precipice of the Stanley Cup final. So I. As much as we can, as much as we can look back now and and say if they were down three to one, he probably would have been in. It's you know, it, it's hearsay because they it wasn't how it wasn't how it worked out. And if I mean, if they were playing in the Stanley Cup final right now, I think he'd be in the lineup. I think he would. I think that especially, I mean, Montreal, Tampa, and Montreal, are two totally different teams, but but Montreal has off. And they're fast. And, and Wallstrom is fast, and he has and he brings uh, he has offensive ability. That's something that you can't you can't be without, especially when you know you're this close to a Stanley Cup. So, mm -hmm. yeah. 
So um, before we take a break and we'll talk about going into next season, the unrestricted free agents, the expansion draft, what moves they can make. We'll talk about some Coliseum memories. Uh, Noel uh, penned a great article for Lighthouse Hockey that came out earlier today on on his personal reflections on the Coliseum. Um, where do you have any rooting interest when it comes to this series? When your team gets knocked out, you know, I put out there on Twitter that I think I'm in the minority. Um, I, I root for, it's not actively rooting. I mean, I'm not a fan of the lightning or anything, but I don't like if I, I, I would feel better about the Islanders losing a game seven to Tampa. If Tampa goes out and beats the Canadians in five games, <laughs> you know, like, you know, if, uh, if you know, if Montreal uh, sends up, ends up beating, uh, you know, beating Tampa and another uh, fan base gets to kind of go on this Cinderella ride. Remember this ride that we're, we were told if you're if you're if you're an Islander fan right now, the narrative that you want to believe is the one that, hey, you have to go through these battles. You have to you know, you have to, you know, go through all of the wear and tear and the journeys to, to overcome all this adversity. And then a team, you know, with Suzuki and and led by Suzuki and Caulfield are essentially gonna gonna you know catch lighting in a bottle and win a Stanley Cup um, against a team that you know knocked out the Islanders uh, many many moons ago in 1993 on the way to a, a really amazing uh, overtime win after win after win back in 1993. I don't really need to see that, right? Like I don't need more fan bases happy. Like Tampa Bay, they're winning everything right now. Let them keep on winning everything. <laughs> you know, football, their baseball team makes the World Series and other Stanley Cup, fine. I don't want other fan bases to be happy if I'm miserable. So I'll root for the team that knocked me out. I just want to see this, see the series go seven games. I just want to see these two teams beat the hell out of each other. Like, I, I think, like, I mean, I think Tampa is going to end up winning eventually, but, you know, I'm a hockey fan. And what, the, what better when it comes to hockey than seven game playoffs than a, than a game seven playoff series. That's just, that's just how I see, how I see things watching them, watching the team, like the game right now. I mean, Montreal's hanging around Tampa's letting them hang around kind of the same way they, the, they let the Islanders do at points during, during the series, during, during that series, during the series between them. And, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if, if Montreal can like pull off, like getting to seven games, but that's just something that I'd hope to see. So you're just rooting for game seven. What about you, Noel? You're a guy that goes, oh, I want to see Tampa lose. I hate this team. You know, they're dirty. They cheat. You know, they're breaking the CBA rules or they're bending the rules. Or do you like, are you, are you like me? I'm indifferent, really. I mean, it's You're like, going to be in Aruba. <laughs> exactly. I, I don't care. I'm not going to have my kids with me. I could care less about anything. Uh, no, but it's like, all right, I'm, this thing of the series will eventually get over maybe by game five. I mean, who, who knows? But I, I mean, Honestly, I don't care. I mean, it would be kind of cool to see Montreal win the cup because everyone in front of nobody. Uh, yeah, exactly. And plus, you know, the, everyone thought the first Canadian team to win in a while would be Toronto, and it'd be kind of just shot against Toronto for not winning, which would be kind of funny. Like Tampa's won everything, another cup. I mean, do they really need it? Does that city really need another championship? Mm. I'm just saying. Team. I'm just saying. Like as a Knicks fan growing up in the '90s, it was easier to swallow. They never got a championship those years because they couldn't get through Michael Jordan. Like they lost to Michael Jordan. Like everyone else lost to Michael Jordan. I mean, then the one year they obviously got to the finals was Michael Jordan wasn't was there. there. Right. Um, you know, I mean, and obviously in 2000, but yeah, but you know, it's the, like everyone that's played against LeBron James in their conference all those years. Like, you know, what are you going to do? I mean, right. you know, I'm still going to feel the pain, you know, of him and loss, regardless of who wins the series. It's oh yeah. Not gonna, no, not gonna change my, it's a small thing, head. but I see some people getting excited about, you know, Montreal tying the game. Uh, it's one, one now in the second period as we're recording this. And I'm like, why? I don't, I don't understand why I would, I would root for the Canadians. Um, think, do you think last year was, was easier to swallow than this year? I think it was, I think, especially oh, if, yeah. Tampa, yeah. if Tampa wins again, I definitely think last year much more easier to swallow than this year. Oh well, the oh, circumstances of last year playing in a in a bubble, you know, was just so abnormal just to start with, right? You just weren't right. gonna, you know, wasn't gonna be all the pomp and circumstance that that encompasses a playoff run um, that we've been able to experience over the last several weeks at the Coliseum. That's one, and I think to our earlier point, what we said is that the Islanders were a banged up team. I don't think they were, you know, it was gonna be very difficult to to you know, win three consecutive games against Tampa. Um, even if they would have won game, you know, let's say Brock Nelson scores in overtime and, and win a game seven and then beat Dallas without, without their best defense and without Casey Zizekas. That was going to be really difficult to do. Right. This team was, 
you know, outside of the Pajot injury was a healthy team um, and uh, would have been favored um, in a final with home ice advantage. So um, we'll take a break. Uh, when we get back, we'll talk about um, a look ahead towards next year, the expansion draft, decisions on unrestricted free agents, and then we'll also share uh, some personal uh, Coliseum memories. You're listening to PT Isles, part of the Lighthouse Hockey Podcast Network. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. We're back. PT Isles, Joe Bono, Noel Fogelman, and Rob Taub joining us here as the Islander season came to an end uh, following Game 7 loss to the Tampa Bay Lightning, one nothing last Friday, and now it's decision time for Lou Lamarillo and the Islanders organization as they go into next year. You heard uh, the players after the game. Part of the reason why they were all so emotional is that, you know, you know, this group won't be together as currently constituted. You wanted to win for certain veterans that were along for this ride, whether it be a, you know, Travis Ajak um, or an Andy Green or just Islander players that have been part of this for a long, long time, like Josh Bailey and Brock Nelson and others, you know, Matt Barzell uh, specifically was very emotional through it. So there are going to be changes and uh, you know, this group will only be this group for this, for this season. And that said um, uh, the biggest, I think question is what happens when it comes to Casey Zizekas. And I think, you know, looking, uh, looking, you know, to this point, you know, it's a question that Nolan and I actually brought to Arthur Staple three months ago, I think, and talking about it, but it really didn't garner a lot of attention during the season. People, I don't think, wanted to talk about it. Um, but now that's the reality. And um, based on what their current cap situation, it's going to be a situation, Noel, where uh, both sides are going to have to give something in order for this to work out. And uh, sitting here on, you know, June 30th, I'm tending to think that it's going to work out, that they're going to find a way to find a middle ground, maybe by giving him a little bit more term and maybe him accepting a little bit more, a little less money that he could get somewhere else um, for Casey to remain on the island. Um, how do you feel about it? I mean, he could definitely get more money someplace else. I mean, if, if he really wanted to like get, you know, score a payday, he can definitely sign as a third line center somewhere, whether it's Toronto. I mean, I, I dare I say the Rangers, but I, I don't think he would do that. Ideally, I think he's going to come back. He shares the same agent as Matt Martin, and we all know Matt Martin got you know the four years, but to you know spread out the um, the cap hit. I think that's going to happen the same thing. It could be like a six year deal, maybe just under three three million dollars. He's the heartbeat of the team. He really is. And that line, keep that line together for one more year because Kyle Kuttelbuck has one more year left on his contract. You, you have to do it. And this is the first time he's been I think healthy. He didn't miss any games this year, mm-hmm. which is always, you know, uh, a negative for, for Casey Sezekis. But like I said, he's the heartbeat. It's going to get done, whether it gets done first day of agency or down the road, it'll get done. Yeah, I tend to, I tend to think so too, Rob. Um, and I'm, I'm not only about just losing Casey Sezekis, the player, and what he embodies um, for the Islanders, but you know, I'm worried about what that means for Matt Martin and Cal Clutterbuck if Casey Sezekis is not centering that line. It's not just about losing that player. It's what it does to two other players as well. You know, I think I'm mentally prepared for Sezikis, uh, sorry, for Clutterbuck not to be resigned after next year and then plugging in someone else, um, whether that that's Ross Johnson for a year or whatever it may be um, on that line with Sezikis and, 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 and Martin. But, you know, what, what comes of those three, if Sezikis is gone this year and Clutterbuck's gone the year after, then Matt Martin becomes, you know, what is he at that point? So, you know, I think it's just super important for next year's roster construction to keep those three together. I think we all know at this point that they are, you know, they're, they're much better together than they are apart. Yeah. I, I always joke that that line is Voltron. Yeah, I think they like, all said that, that Zikas is the heartbeat of the team. I so agree. I think he is going to write that he's, uh, into a big he was moving. I heard he was moving into a bigger house in Garden City. 
I mean, I know there was a little something there that was uh, going around that uh, he sold his house, but I found out that it it was because he was getting he's going into a new, a new house. But I think that for for next year, I think they do need to have him. I think we saw it when when Matt Martin when Matt Martin left for Toronto a few years ago, we saw that that line was not the same without uh, all three all three of its parts together and. The Islanders' success is built on those guys being the identity line. And if you're missing one of those pieces, you know, God forbid uh, it doesn't, God forbid he does sign somewhere else, I think it's really, really going to hurt them, especially if they want to get to get to the spot that they got again this year because you need those kind of guys in the playoffs and through throughout the year that, you know, bring that grit, bring that toughness, you know, and I just, I don't, I think that it would be very hard for them to replace someone like him. I know they do have guys in the system. You know, they do have an Otto Koibola. They've got a, you know, Ruslan Isakov. They've got guys, you know, in the minors that maybe can do what he does, but Casey does everything. He, he hits, he penalty, he's on the penalty kill. He scores goals when he needs to. He fights if he, if he has to. He does everything imaginable that you need from a leader and a guy on, who is so highly valuable to your team and to lose a guy like him would, you know, it would hurt a lot. And I, you know, I said before, I think he does. I think the home down discount is what's going to have to happen. If he's going to sign, I really think that's how, that's how this whole thing is going to play out. And if Lou does what he did with Martin, where he kind of kept the, the contract under wraps until, you know, right before the season started and, you know, Casey, you know, gets like Noel said, like a six-year deal. And it's like maybe three million or two and a half. I think if he takes two and a half, I think he's insane because I think his value is way more than that. He could possibly be like a four and a half million uh, type of guy on another team like like Toronto or the Rangers, it, you know, hopefully not. But you lose a guy like him, it you know, it's going to sting. It, just like this loss, it's going to sting. And it's going to sting really like a lot worse than a lot of people think. Yeah, I mean, he could, you know, he could move into a bigger house in Garden City and still commute to the Garden. You know, that'll 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 yeah. be great. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll 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 see what we'll see what occurs. And of course, as he gets the uh, game two overtime goal and and against the Bruins, probably his you know biggest and biggest goal as an Islander and one of his most memorable moments. And who's going to hug the goaltenders if uh, if Casey Zekas is somewhere else? Um, Casey Zekas. So uh, that's obviously big. And then you had other, you know news that Lou made, obviously Kyle Palmieri, no surprise there is that we would love the Islanders would love for Palmieri to be able to be on this roster. I think Palmieri would love to be part of this team. How does that work out? And I guess this is kind of where we'll go into is how do you create cap space with the way that the situation currently looks? And and one of the ways is going to be the expansion draft and, you know, they can, they can get super creative and offer, you know, a package to Ron Francis that somehow gets a healthy Andrew Ladd off of this, off of this team's uh, payroll. Um, you'd have to give up a lot, not just the second round pick that you got for Devon plus Andrew Ladd. It'd be that plus a prospect, maybe plus something else um, in order, in order for them to take that. I think that's highly unlikely. And then you come across, all right, well, who are you going to not protect in the, in the expansion draft? And actually, what would be the best outcome to actually improve the team beyond just bringing back and keeping everyone in together and create some cap space to do that? Um, does that mean that you're exposing Nick Letty over Scott Mayfield? I think so. Um, or is it that, you know, someone like Jordan Eberle becomes attractive and you feel like you can slide in a Wallstrom on that top line and, and kind of, uh, you know, pair him up with Lee and Barzell and be okay offensively? Uh, Nola, your thoughts? I was looking at Cap Friendly the other day, and they have like a, a buyout calculator. And a lot of the owners, it's you can't. I mean, Andrew Ladder, the way his contract structured, yeah, you save, save maybe five dollars off the off the contract. One interesting guy is when you just mentioned Jordan Everly, and I really do think they're going to buy him out. It, it, it makes perfect sense. The, the, next year they'll save five point two million dollars off the cap, and then it's three more years on the deal. Then it's two. $3 million, $2 million, and then the cap hit, obviously, when he, you know, his contract is up. It makes perfect sense. You can expose Letty and make some sort of deal in the expansion draft because they're not, Seattle's not taking Andrew Ladd. The Islanders would have to give up a first round pick. They don't have a first round pick this year, and I don't think they're going to do a future one, you know, because then that leaves the cupboard pretty bare. 
So I think they'll try to work out something creative with Andrew Ladd with another team, not Seattle. But I really do think they're going to uh, buy out Jordan Epley. I haven't heard that before. Gonna... That's the first time I've heard that. I mean, in that in that situation, though, you're potentially losing unless you work out something with Seattle where they stay away from a guy like Nick Letty, you, you potentially could lose Eberly and, and Letty. And then that's a lot to replace. But yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to disagree with all. I think that Eberly, instead of buying him out, I think that they're going to expose him. Uh, I'm, yeah, I, I hate that. That's what it's come to. Cause I, I think this year was, you know, he was actually pretty good. Uh, most of the regular season and then kind of just like fell off in the playoffs a little bit until he started to, score like here and there but i think the amount of money that he is still making and what the Allens can get by get by letting him by give, getting him to seattle i think that would open up the the room to sign paul mary if you know if that were the case but you see i i think they will I, expose Everly in the draft i don't, I just don't I think, think they'll take him i'd rather i ain't glad with I think they will. I think knowing, you know, you got to look back almost like the way Vegas did it, where they brought, they brought in guys who not saying that the, their teams didn't want, like their, their respective teams didn't want them anymore, but there were guys that, you know, had good years and then kind of fell off and then they found a rebirth. And I'm kind of sensing that if the Islanders, Islanders exposed Jordan Everly to Seattle, I think that's the kind of situation where he can go and be something that, yeah, he like the Allen's kind of maybe expected, but maybe even more with, with, um, with Seattle. I mean, I know he was playing with Matt. He's been playing with Matthew Barzell for, for almost three and a half years now. And if you couldn't do anything playing with him, then, you know, then you're just, you're a lost cause. He's not a lost cause. And I think that's why I think Seattle is really going to look toward him. If not Nick Letty or Scott Mayfield, I hope they don't lose Scott Mayfield because I think he was, phenomenal in the playoffs as much as people you know want to throw sling arrows at him he really showed something he showed a lot in the playoffs and I think he saved his spot on this team and I can't say the same for Letty and I can't really say the same for Everly so those are my two guys if they're gonna those guys are gonna be the one odd man out that's them I can't I'm not giving up Scott Mayfield not with that contract and not after how how much he proved in the playoffs mm-hmm. yeah, so I, five five point two million would be the savings for next season, a little over three million the year after that, two million, then down to one point seven million years. Um, that's for Everly. Five and six. That's for Everly. Yeah, for Everly. You can pay. That, you can pay Kyle Palmieri with that money. Maybe even a little less if he wants to take a right. Take, yeah, I would buy him out. I'd buy him out after he, you know, was exposed in the draft and he wasn't taken. Because it means three years on that deal over five million dollars. It's a lot for Seattle to ask. I mean, I know it's a, it's a fresh franchise, but what, wouldn't you rather start with building you know, your defense and goaltending first? Mm-hmm. The you other would give you that. I mean, I give credit to you, Noel. It's a really creative solution that I haven't that I haven't heard. Um, and considering that you're dead inside to come up with it, I give you a lot of credit. <laughs> Thanks. Um, it, it's interesting, right? Because if they they're, if they're basically saying, well, this is a way. Let's say Letty gets taken in the expansion draft. They do this with Everly. You can pretty much bring back Sezikis and Paul Mary, um, you know, with those savings. And then you're still hoping that eventually the cap goes up. Now, you know, do you still run into a problem where you have to pay Adam Pellick? You're going to have to pay Ryan Pulock after next year. You're going to have to pay Barzell eventually. So do you use all that money? with Zizekas and, and Paul Mary, and then you're running yourselves up into other problems. Now you're going to lose Leo Komarov's salary after next season. You're going to lose Clutterbuck's salary after next season. Um, you know, they'll, you know, uh, you know, Boychuk's situation will be completely off the books. Um, so you'll have, you know, maybe some other flexibility there, that's, but that is intriguing. The other, the other thought that's crossed my mind that I haven't heard a ton about is whether or not there's a trade market for Varlamov um, and, and not because I want, to um because i'm not a fan obviously i think he's proved his worth significantly over the last couple of years you know but for a guy that has two more years left on his contract you know and the ability that this organization has shown to take any kind of goaltending tandem and make them still a defensive first team 
you know, are you able to turn the keys over to Sorokin earlier um, than uh, you know, about a year earlier and uh, maybe collect some assets and, uh, and, and, and trade Varlamov to a team that's looking for goaltending? I, I don't see it happening because I think the last two years, like you were saying, Joe, he's proved his worth the last two years. And, you know, you look at the way the goaltending has played out for the Islanders in the, in the past, like over the last uh, under like Lou and Barry. And it's like, they, they're just building and they keep building and they have the building blocks. And I don't think you want to give up a guy like Ron, especially also because him and Sorokin, you know, they're. No, I get it. I get it. Fantastic. They were, they were a fantastic duo. They, they like each other. They seem like they push you. They seem like they're pushing you. They pushed each other this year. I, I just, I think trading Barlow will be a, a huge mistake. And I'm not I'm just saying, Rob, I'm like, I'm just saying this, if I'm going into a playoff series next year, how am I going to make my team better on paper Score more this goals. year than, than, than they were this year. It's, right. And I, going in, going into it. And, you know, what's the, you know, I mean, there were a lot of fans. I mean, listen, Varlamov, as good as he has been in the playoffs, who started game seven against the Flyers? Thomas Grice. Who won four games in game one and in, in the series against the Penguins? Ilya Sorokin. Right. And I know a lot of fans wanted to go back to him early on in the Bruins series. I was not one of them, but it's not like they just said, you're our guy, no matter what. And he doesn't come out of the net in the postseason. He's had two postseasons where he's gotten pulled and someone else has, has stepped up and won games in both of those postseasons. So all I'm saying is, mm, go ahead. Sorry, of, having, of, of having, of having two yeah. very good goaltenders, but you're telling me that the Islanders could not find another goaltender um, so. on, on the open market that they can put into their system. And the guy can't have a two and a half, Goals against average. Everyone else has. <laughs> you know what it is? Uh, it's not. I'm, I, it's not that I don't think that could happen. But this team is all about familiar. It's all about being familiar with each other. And they've been together now for three years. For three years, even though Barlon wasn't here the first year, he's been here the last two. Yeah, and they've I, had three separate goalie tandems, right? They've had. You know what? It was but, Leonard and Grice, Grice and Varlamov, and then Varlamov and Sorokin, and pretty much the results are the same. You know, even if the results are the same, I still think that, you know, it, by getting rid of Varlamov, yeah, it, it might save you money on the cap. But I think that that would be a, a a huge negative, especially with the way, like, with how much he's respected by his teammates and how much how much he's accomplished here. He's gotten the team to two Eastern Conference finals. And, yes, he did have to be pulled and other things I'm happened. just saying, do you want Kyle Palmieri on your team and Sorokin I, and someone else, I, I or you want Sorokin and Varlamov, and then you know, you're using you're you're looking at internal candidates to fill up your your top nine? I don't I think that's just that's just the reality. I'm thinking. I don't know if I'm ready yet to say give Sorokin the keys to the kingdom. Maybe I I still he only he's got 20, 20. he's gonna be 26. He's not gonna be you know he's not a, not a kid. Yeah, but and he only got 21 starts this year, and he was great. He was good in most of them, and he was he showed he could play in the playoffs. He showed that the stage. Well, he wasn't afraid of that stage. But I think you keep that tandem for as long as you can without having to, to leave one of them to, without having to get rid of one of them. Yeah, I but really, they, I, you're also going to have an expensive, you don't want, you can't have an expensive goaltending duo eventually once Sorokin well, well, wants to get, once they get paid, once they get paid substantially more than what he is now. Right. I mean, they're not going to re up someone like Varlamov when his contract is up. Listen, a lot of people are having podcasts. A lot of people are talking about different things. I'm glad that we're bringing up some scenarios that no one else is talking about because you know, why not? Um, I know Noel brought up one and I'm bringing up one. I, I just, to me, you know, to me, I'm, I'm looking at, I go, when I put my best roster out there on the ice in a big, big game, what's the variance between Varlamov and Sorokin compared to what I can bring into or keep into the fold compared to what that replacement will be by not being having another four and a half, five million dollars to play with. I think it should go with you give it. All right. Next year, if it's their last kick at the can and they know it, then you, then you make the decision to get rid of, to, to let Barley go. But I think knowing that they are not, they are one or two pieces away from being a Stanley Cup champion. Like how are you getting those pieces, Rob? Uh, that's the point. I mean, I think that's the problem. It's the expa- that's the expansion draft. It's the expansion draft and tough decisions. I, but but, but, it, when, but they, when, there's not even, I mean, Tarasenko? Like, I mean, I mean, like, where, where is the, yeah. wh- who is the player, you know, Ovechkin's going to come and get, you know, reunited with Barry Trotz, or sure. Tarasenko and all his injuries are going to all of a sudden get, get dumped on the honors, how, how they're going to afford them. I have no idea either. So you, t- you know, the thing is like, how do you improve the roster? Like last year, the way they improve the roster 
was they brought in Sorokin to replace Grice and they lost Taze and Dobson kind of put it in his position. Everything else pretty much stayed exactly the same, right? So you're going into this season where you're going to probably lose a minimum of Palmieri and Zajac, right? Maybe Palmieri, Zajac, and Sezikis plus a player from the expansion draft. How are you getting better? In a, in a perfect world, which obviously this is not, they lose Letty in the expansion draft, right? And let's just say Everly's still here. Okay, that's fine. They they still have Lee, which his money comes off the long-term IR, which no one really talks about. So they have to find money, for, you know, that to get under the cap as well. Wallstrom, I mean, if you bring back Palmieri, hey, you got Palmieri and Lee. They haven't been in the lineup together. So, I mean, that's really your addition, but there's still a lot of work. Yeah, but how you bring him back Sezikis in that scenario. Exactly. So it's, right? you know, And it's Andy like, Green's bonus money carries over right, to course. this year's cap as yeah. well. So they're carrying that. Right. Um, like in, in a perfect world, like I said, you know, Letty and Everly are gone. And then you, you somehow bring up Robin Sallow, who, you know, is an older rookie. He's out of experience. I mean, Samuel, Samuel Bolger. Bolger. Oh, yeah, oh, or, Bolger, or Sebastian Ajo has got to play more. Yeah. Ajo's yeah. done. Or you know what's going to happen? It'll be the worst case scenario. It's either Coivolo, yeah. Bellows, or Ajo get it, uh, selected in the draft, and very little money comes out. And then you're looking at Thomas Hickey still here, which we have to forget. Remember his money. Eventually, you know, so another guy. We, we yeah, get his going money into the, the year after next year. You know, like the Islanders almost got to find out a way to say, okay, well, Hickey's money, Komarov's money, Clutterbuck's money, all gone the year after next. You know, is there a way to just squeeze yourself underneath the cap and then, and then kind of you know clear yourself? of $10 million plus next year with three players that are probably not part of the, the plans moving yeah. forward. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. I mean, it's, if, and yeah. it's happening pretty quickly, you know, it's right. later on and, and, you know, it's a few weeks away here in yeah. July. And if um, Lou really wants the three Pete as GM of the year, he's got a lot of work to do this <laughs> off season, you know? And then the thing I, I said this right in the immediacy of the, of the game seven loss is that, and you, I think, you know, Noel, you and I were talking about this too, about how, you know, sometimes it's younger teams that go through this and, you know, they kind of add a piece to that, 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 that core nucleus, or they become more seasoned before they get over the hump. The Islanders are not that young team. They're guys that have a 29, 30, 31 years old. And the window is not maybe as large of having a core nucleus team of a bunch of people that are around Matt Barzell's age and they're 24, 25 years old. Right. So the problem is, is that when I look at the Islander system, they may have some very talented younger players that may end up becoming core members of this team, but they're not ready for next year. I mean, outside of maybe Wallstrom taking the leap and Bellows being maybe a, if he's not taken in an expansion draft, being a more part of the regular rotation, there's no one else in the cupper that's ready to take a leap. So how do these two things match off? How do you have this kind of kind of, and you now it's starting to be in the back end of the prime core group you know, you're not, you're not, you're not putting in a uh, Suzuki and Caulfield ready to go to add to that group. That's not happening with this team right now. Yeah. It's, it's double-edged sword. Do you want to, you know, trade more draft picks and leave the cover bare to keep this run going, you know, cause you're so close and you think you had one more you know, piece. I mean, it's braze over prospects, right? So it's, you, you, you want to do that, but in a couple of years, you're not going to have those pieces. It's, it's more important to keep this run going now or keep the organization going for more years. See, this is this is what kind of I've talked to a few people in New Jersey, New Jersey, especially like some fans. This is what they warned me with about Lou is that he will run this team as far as it can go and leave the prospects, leave the team just uh, with without anything for the future, uh, just so the, just so they have a chance to keep winning. And you know, like Joe was saying, and Noel, like you were saying. It's something that, you know, is going to – it's a double-edged sword. But, you know, when when you have a team like the Allens who for almost 20 years did next to nothing when it came to even getting close to a Stanley – even getting even near a Stanley Cup uh, final, like right now I'm just like keep going for it. No, five it's years. fine. You just don't yeah. want to have to – you just don't have to tear the thing back down and then it takes four no, or five I, years I, to come I, back up, right? There are teams that – you know, that take steps back and then, you know, yeah. retool and end up finding themselves better. I mean, you know, again, look at the lightning, right? The, the lightning team that went to the finals after being the Rangers um, that year, that team then missed the playoffs, I think a year or two after that, right? They, 
and then they added you know new pieces to you know to their to their core through draft through trades through smart free agent signings right so you can take a step back eventually you just don't want it to be three four steps back to where you're starting from the ground floor again you know you could keep a couple of core guys and then build around them um you know with the with the right with the right uh organizational pieces in in place and you know good leadership at the top which downers have and you know we'll see how much longer lou wants to do this he says as long as he's healthy he'll be there at the helm and you know, but even, you know, even if that's the case that, you know, you're not looking at a, a guy that's going to be the GM for the next 10 years, you're looking at maybe two to three more years tops, you would expect. This might just be the bias to me, but I don't think that they're going to take steps back. A lot of people could say whatever they want because of their system and their goaltending and they do have the pieces in place. And they, and if you add a few more or if you lose and try and restock, it's just like this team, they're built to win now. And I don't think that's going to stop until it it just can't happen anymore. And they're I, they're, they're built to they're built get to into the, get into the right tournament, now. getting yeah. get get in the tournament, and being really tough out in the tournament. That's what they are. And you hope you play eighty two games next year, and everyone's got to be relaxed throughout the course of the year, and just hope that they're one of the eight. Hopefully, you don't have to face the lightning in the first round. But other than that, you'd be one of the eight, and you go into it all nice or not. Um, and you, and you, and you take your chances with that group that's gotten you far again. And hopefully we're there, you know, come next April and May and having similar type of conversations, but, um, as fascinating an off season, uh, as it's, as uh, I think we've seen in, in, in quite a while, um, different types of obviously 2018 was a very fascinating off season for other reasons. Uh, this one will be a uh, very, very challenging, um, for, for Lamarillo and company to, to on, at least on paper, put on, uh, you yeah. know, look like the team's yeah. taking a step forward. The old saying is that every offseason now with the Islanders is the most important. This one might be the most important after about five years. Worth. Well, you know, you have how many? Well, you you say there's must-win games in the middle of the season, so I'm not so, not hey, surprised hearing hey, that I, from you. I stopped doing that during the playoffs and kind of worked, but maybe I should have done it for the, the only must-wins were Game Six and Game Seven game of seven. the uh, <laughs> Lightning series. Yeah. Um, all right, let's turn our attention to the Coliseum. You know, some some you know news and rumors and scenarios coming out this week about hey what if belmont's not ready to go could they give a proper ceremonial send-off to the coliseum where you bring back old alumni and do that kind of whole thing or not you know the Islanders likely going to have a long road trip seven eight nine games maybe even as long as that but before they play um, a home game at belmont does not sound like there'll be any preseason games certainly not islanders are going to play those in bridgeport so maybe uh, noel and i will catch a islander preseason game um, next year in connecticut and um, but so let's just for all for all intents and purposes say that that was the last game at the coliseum game six uh, with the uh, beer can confetti and the beauvillier Overtime winner Ed Westfall, number eighteen, scored the first goal ever for the Islanders at the Coliseum, and Beauvillier, number eighteen, potentially uh, has has scored the last. And uh, no, we'll start with you because you wrote a really nice piece for Lighthouse Hockey on some personal reflections of of your memories at the Coliseum. They weren't necessarily always geared towards you know what was happening on the ice, but you know some some memories with with your your family before you and before you had a family. Yeah, I mean, I wanted to write because obviously I've been to a bunch of playoff games and. Those are always memorable. So I kind of want to, you know, toss those out and write about a couple of ones. You know, obviously my first game was back in 85. So LaFontaine and Bossy both scored in that game. That was really cool. And they won 8-6. But the one which was kind of like most memorable and kind of most interesting was Tavares' first game. And it wasn't just because it was John Tavares' first game. It was how I got the tickets. And I, a friend of mine who I worked with at MLB Network was the Islanders graphics coordinator the 2008-2009 season. And kind of got to know general, former general manager, now Garth Snow, who were lovingly referred to him as Meat. So that was his nickname. He's like, hey, what up, Meat, this and that. So he's like, anytime you want to get tickets, you know, just give me a call. So he got tickets for the home opener, season opener, which is his first game. So me and him go. And usually when you get tickets from someone, they leave it at wall call. So Garth texted him. He's like, just, you know, just when you get there, call me. So we got security. He's like, I'm here to pick up tickets from Garth Snow. Like, okay, we had a couple minutes. Garth comes down, hands him an envelope. Instead of having his name on it, you know, Steve, what's the last name? It just says meat on the envelope. <laughs> and it's just brilliant, you know, and it's like as much as people kill Garth, you know, he does have a sense of humor, which, which is kind of funny. 
Uh, and then there's some more other, you know, cool uh, little stories in the article on lighthousehockey.com if you want to check it out. I almost missed my uh, meeting my wife, who's not a sports fan, my first date. That's in there. And a couple, you know, things about my kids. So it's, it's a good story. Everyone has their own personal uh, Coliseum stories. And I just wanted to share mine on there. Yeah. And on the one with your wife, basically, Noel says that he may not be married with three kids today if she showed up for their first date at the Coliseum. Um, she was sick. He ended up talking to her on the phone for a couple hours and says, you know, if she would have came to the game, he would have been so into the game and maybe not paid attention to her. And she would have said, this guy's not interested and, and moved on. Um, so uh, maybe that, that fever um, led to your, led to your courtship. So really exactly. good story. Definitely, definitely check it Thanks. out on Lighthouse Hockey. Rob, I know you've been very sentimental, you and your family over the last uh, several weeks, um, maybe uh, a couple minutes on, um, you know, your biggest Coliseum memories and, and what the building means to you. Uh, well, this playoff run was will probably be end up being the biggest memory because just every single game was, you know, it was an event, no matter if they won or they lost. It's just everything about going into that building, especially after what we dealt with the last last year, with made it that much more special. You know, I, I've been going there for 26 years. My first game, I was six months old. So I won't, I, you know, my, my parents could tell you about that. But, I, you know, I was there through the dark, the dark times as a teenager, then to see them, you know, see them re-energize and revitalize the building, even after what happened with Brooklyn, it just, it's a special, special building. And it's, you know, it's one that, you know, I'll cherish for a long time. And yeah, that place, was, it, they, we could say it was a dump. We could call it the mausoleum and call it whatever the hell you want. That place was a home. So many people, I said it earlier this week on another podcast, it was a home to so many people, so many people forge relationships there, marriages, kids. It's a generate. It was a generational place to be, especially li- being uh, from Long Island and you know going to games and being a season ticket holder. And you know, it's just uh, it sucks the way it ended. I think that uh, you know you said before about giving it a proper send off. I think that the beer shower at the end was the perfect send off. That just that was so typical Long Island. And just the way it was a party atmosphere and the players embraced it, just like the would have just like it was during the dynasty era, where I'm sure there were a lot more beer showers for a lot more uh, better reasons. But just a, ter- a terrific place to watch a game, a place that every time I walked into it, it was an escape from, you know, daily life, whatever I was dealing with, school, work, whatever. That's what made it special is it was a meeting place and it was somewhere you know, you could go to have fun. There wasn't that many fun times, uh, I'll say, uh, until like the later, until now in the later years. But it was just, it was a great place to watch. It was a great place to, great old barn, great hot, like just, yeah, I don't want to get emotional. As the tears run down his face, mm-hmm. I'm kidding. Um, the, uh, you know, I guess, yeah, for, for me, you know, I didn't get to go to a ton of games uh, living in living in Brooklyn. Um, you know, never was a season ticket holder at the Coliseum. Um, but similar to what Rob said, every time I was in that building, it, 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 it did feel special regardless of whether or not the team uh, was any good. And many yeah. of those years I attended games, they were not because you always, the banners always struck me the way the Coliseum banners looked at the Islander dynasty banners and the blue and the orange and the white and the retired numbers. Just, I thought no stadium looked or arena looked better than the way those banners hung at the Nassau Coliseum. Um, you know, some memories for me, and I've said this before, and I've written about this, about how the 93 team was the reason I became an Islander fan. Uh, the game I went to earlier in that year uh, with my with my cousin who kind of, you know, stewarded my, my Islander fandom was a game November 27th, 1993, Islanders-Rangers. Islanders were at a really tough start to the year. This is the year, obviously, the Rangers win the, win the cup, but they – you know, they win 6-4. Um, I got the program of that of that game. Um, and I remember like it was a picture of Darius Kasparitis and, and Mike Gardner, I think were, was on the was on the was on the cover. Um, and I remember just I, I would read and reread the same information on the program, you know, about Todd Bertuzzi and how he was gonna uh, be the next star for the Islanders. And and that always stuck with me. I went to a playoff game. Um Sorry, that was 93-94. I went to a playoff game the previous year. I saw the second Ray Ferraro overtime goal. 
um, in, in person, um, which I was, was there, which was huge. Yeah. We talked about this. They had to give out those models. Yeah. You know, the Islanders actually gave out noise makers themselves. I think for that series, mm-hmm. they had that, these models yeah. clappers actually that they gave up. And then I've been, and then I had the opportunity to be at some other really cool moments. I was at Mario Lemieux's 500th goal, uh, which happened at the Coliseum. I was at Bill Torrey night. And then obviously was at, um, you know, the first final game at the Coliseum mm-hmm. with them beating the Capitals and, um, I was there game four on the Pulak. Um, you know, that was my final, final moment there. So, um, you know, I think people are ready for, for Belmont. I think it's going to be exquisite. Um, every day I see someone flying in from JFK, taking a picture outside their window. It seems like from an airplane and they're really excited about it. Um, it's going to be a special place. And you heard Cal Clutterbrook talk about how as much as it's the building, it's also the people. Right. And it's a unique, it's a unique family atmosphere community feel with the islanders unlike any other fan base right because it's long island because of the size of the fan base and i think that's what's made it special to be part of the social media islander community um i i don't think other fan bases have have what what we have and uh that carries over to to belmont as well so um, final thoughts for me. I just want to thank Lighthouse Hockey for the opportunity to do this podcast again this year. Um, it's been a crazy busy year for myself with moving and, and having a kid and work requirements and, and Noel is in a, in a similar circumstances and we haven't been able to do this um, on the set schedule that we hoped out hoped to do at the, at the start of the year, but we appreciate the flexibility and no one gave us ever a hard time about mm-hmm. doing anything so thanks to dan and everyone there and uh rob thanks to you and uh, james for all the work you guys did on the website this year um and all the writing that continues to go out and all the content that that pack group was putting out has been pretty awesome yeah another good work guys thank yep. you all right so that'll do it for this episode of ptils as there is islander news which there surely will be in the coming weeks we will come back with you come back and be with you on a podcast but until then Have a great night, Islanders country. Watch or don't watch the Stanley Cup Finals. We will talk to you next time. Good night.